Here we see tonight, and uh, again, very sobering chapter. There's a lot of meat here to get off the bone. In Genesis chapter 7, we see the final preparations before the flood. And again, I think in the times that we're living, we're looking at the final preparations before Jesus Christ's return. Now, we, nobody knows the time or the hour, the Bible clearly says, but boy, oh boy. I mean, you're looking at the current events, look at the Middle East, look at all, everything's going on and prophetically how it's been fulfilled. Uh, never lived in such a time like this as we're living in today. Never lived in such a time. So it, it's very sobering as I go through this and I look at these things. And hopefully as you're devotionally studying at home, as you go back through chapter 6 and you're looking at chapter 7 and you're studying this, hopefully the Lord's giving you that same revelation. And, and it's interesting because I've been talking to people in my adventures and travels, uh, people that are even un, un, you know, non-believers. And I, I've asked them, you know, well, you know, what do you believe or different things? And, they, and they, you know, everybody's saying, well, we need to downsize and simplify. I mean, even people that are, are of the world are realizing something's going to happen and it's changing and they're, they're kind of having this sober-mindedness to them. I mean, sure, there's some still carefree and doing things that are wicked and going after the things of their own heart, right? As in, you know, chapter 6, verse 5, you know, only evil continually. But I do believe we, uh, we're just seeing the beginnings of the end, if not the, you know, God bless you, the end of what's to come here, so... As we go through chapter 7, our aim is to get through verse 24 and have communion tonight, so I'm going to be picking up the pace a little bit. If there's um, questions after, we'll take some time afterwards, after communion, for any additional questions, because I am going to try to move through this, this chapter with, with a little bit of, uh, a little bit of um, speed. So remember, 1,656 years after creation began is roughly the time of Noah, uh, specifically the time of Noah's flood. The time we believe Methuselah, who was the oldest living person throughout all of humanity, 900 and I think it was 69 years. Name means basically when, 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 when he dies, judgment comes. That's what his name means. And Noah meaning peace or rest, his name. God had prophetically already told us what will be. As we look at these final preparations, God is preparing then for the judgment that will be a worldwide flood. I'll, I'll say it again, it's a worldwide flood. There are too many Christians that have tried to teach this. I say Christians, not even unbelievers or Christians that have tried to say this was a regional flood. And when you begin to misinterpret or reinterpret the Bible, where do you draw the line? If you don't take the Bible literally in every single passage, in every verse, unless it says like or as, obviously there's points throughout the scriptures where that's the case. But most of it's a very literal understanding. This is a historical account. This actually happened. This was not only, we read about it, this is the genealogy of Noah, chapter 6, verse 9. This is a genealogy. Before that, we read of the book, right? If you remember, even in chapter 5, it says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. So when people say, were they intelligent enough to write? Were, were they, did they have that cape? Oh, my. They were very, very intelligent. Today, they didn't, they didn't have the problem with the genetic pool breaking down as we do today. They had a pure genetic pool like that. DNA hadn't gone too far out of whack yet with disease and all the other things that, that, that creep in. So as we go through that tonight, as we, as we look at this, please just be in mind that I believe the Lord, uh, it's not coincidence, I believe the Lord is, is having us go through Genesis. We went through Revelation because prophetically we know what's coming. But we are also looking at Genesis to understand our identity so we know exactly why. Revelation answers what's going to happen in the end times, what we can expect through the harpazo, right? The rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. And then what would be through the great tribulation. You and I won't be here. If you're a believer in Christ, the church is raptured out of here. But then the question is, how did this all begin and why? And why are we seeing these things that are going to happen in the day of Noah? Why are we seeing it again through wickedness of heart, through sexual immorality, through all these things that we're seeing? Is it a coincidence again? I, I would argue obviously not. There is no such thing. Jesus Christ got a perfect timeline and we're absolutely where we're supposed to be. So as we look at verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Chapter 7, verse 1. You shall take with you seven of each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, and a male and his female. 
also seven of each bird of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark, Noah male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the six hundred year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the day that all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and their three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, all of all the flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered male and female of all flesh went into God, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The water increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the water prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven was covered, were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered, and all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and the beasts of every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life. All that was on dry land died. So he destroyed all the things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, cattle creeping things and the bird of the air, they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that it is completely accurate. And Lord, there is no doubt that uh, you wanted your children throughout the ages, Lord, throughout generations to come back and read this word, not in fear, Lord, not in fear that way, but God, in, in hope that you are coming again for the second advent, Lord, that you will come to end all the wickedness that's on this earth, that you will come and judge, Lord, the unrighteous, and that you have set apart a holy remnant, the body of Christ, Lord, that will bring you all glory and honor. Lord, we thank you that we may be part of that body. We know we don't deserve it of our own, Lord, but it's by your mercy and grace. So we pray this tonight, Lord, with just all thanksgiving in our heart. Thank you, Jesus Christ, in your holy name. Amen. So it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark. I like that. Come into the ark. Underline that. You and your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. I like that. Come into the ark. You know, first off, a hundred years had passed. Noah was 500 years old. Remember that? Before he had begun to build the ark. A hundred years had passed. God had given Noah a very specific command. You're going to take this gopher wood. Most people understand that gopher wood to mean cedar, some kind of cedar wood, actually. But you're going to take this gopher or this cedar wood like that, and you're going to build this ark. It's going to be 450 by 50, and it's going to be these huge dimensions. And it's going to take you, your family, and remember, Methuselah is still alive. Lamech dies. Lamech, remember, dies before Methuselah does. So Methuselah, which is Noah's grandfather, is still alive. I've often wondered if Methuselah helped Noah build this ark. It's very interesting. So, because remember, once he dies, what's going to happen? The flood. That hence his name. When he dies, judgment comes. So when we read, and there's seven days left, we're going to read that. We read it already. It's interesting. Is that the week in which Methuselah died? So on top of everything else, with everything going on, Noah and all this... His grandfather dies, too, on top of everything, and, and trying to figure out how that would work. I mean, think about when we lose loved ones, how that, that, that stirs our hearts. So clearly here, we see Noah, and he, he, you know, as I mentioned, he's 
hundred years he's been told, this is what you're to do, and he was commanded. And then he doesn't hear again from God for over a hundred years. Now, how many of us are comfortable with that? I mean, many of us, if we go a day or a week, the Lord says, you know, I want you to do this. I want you to go down to Harrisburg. You're going to plant a Calvary Chapel. Okay, Lord. I move down here. We do, you know, the Lord adds. People start coming in. We're teaching the Word of God faithfully. People start coming because they love Jesus. And what's my next prayer? Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me, Lord? Show me. What, what, what am I to do, God? How are we to, you know, every single thought, everything we do, I bring before the Lord. There's not a single thing I don't bring before the Lord. Whether it's an outreach for Jubilee Day, soups on, everything happens, but it all goes through the grid of Scripture. It goes through the Lord. And we sit there and pray, and, 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 and you know what I'm talking about in your lives. When, when, when there's a new job, or something that's changed, or, or something that's going on, when you're, when you're in between, Lord, am I, am I going to stay at the job I'm at? Lord, do you have a new job for me? What's happening with the company? Well, there's a merger, there's rumors, there's talk. All the things that can happen in life that we, we experience. And it becomes real to us when we go through it, doesn't it? It becomes very real to us when we're living through that. And what do we say? Lord, I need to hear you. Lord, what is your command? What are you doing here, Lord? Why are you allowing this? Why aren't you allowing this? Whatever it is. And if we don't hear from the Lord in like a day or a week or something like that, God, I'm in the wilderness. I'm dying, Lord. I'm parched. I'm in a dry and weary land. Where are you, Lord? Right? Or maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the one that's whining and crying, Lord, I need you. But here's Noah, 100 years. And doesn't hear from the Lord that way. Other than God said, this is the command I give you. And he walked by faith. And he did exactly what the Lord showed him. He wasn't worried about what other people thought. He didn't say, well, okay, God, what do I do now? What's next, Lord? You know, many of us, we, we want to be comforted, don't we? We like to be comforted. You know, we, we want to feel like everything is okay. And if we don't hear from the Lord, we get nervous, don't we? We kind of go, Lord, what, what, what's going to happen next? Maybe even frustrated. And you think about it, when we read in Hebrews, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So Noah wasn't just building an ark. What was he doing? He was a preacher of righteousness. He was telling everybody, look, this wood ark, this boat, this vessel I'm building. I don't even know why I'm really building it. Because remember, it's not until our passage here that he says it's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. Noah doesn't even know what rain is. Can you imagine you're being asked to do something and you don't even understand it? Lord, okay, I'm going to build this big ark. My neighbors, I mean, he's, you know, 7 billion people, it's been estimated, were living at that time. So very similar to the numbers we have today. 7.4 roughly, 7.2 to 7.4. Here he is, I mean, this is huge. Bigger than what? Three times a football, the size of a football field, right? This is huge. He's building that. Can you imagine the neighbors? I mean, it took 100 years. They probably had nursery rhymes about Noah, you know? Noah the crazy man over there building the ark. Do-da, do-da. I don't know, but, you know, they had something. I mean, they were looking at this guy thinking he's out of his mind. I mean, really, be real. Put yourself back in that moment. Noah, his wife, his three sons, their wives, Methuselah, his grandfather, Everybody else is doing what? Doing, working evil continually. They're living and doing the things they want to do. It's all about their lives, the cares. It's all very self-centered, very much like today. I mean, most people today, it's all about me, me, me. It's self-centered. Career, what's the next on the career? What's the step on the ladder? What revolves around my life? It's not about other people. Jesus said we're to lay down our lives for others. We're to die to ourselves. But no one his family is doing it, but everybody else. They're just, they're just walking past Noah. But Noah's pre look, God told me to build this. I, I don't know why, but, but, but he's going to use this. Repent. Turn from your ways of wickedness. And what do you think they did? Ah, he's out of his mind, right? He's crazy. And they just walk. It's lonely, isn't it? Had to be lonely being Noah. Standing in righteousness. Standing in the gap. Noah was standing in the gap. We need men and women to stand in the gap today. It's lonely. But you know what? It's righteous to stand with God in right living. And that's what Noah did. And so for a hundred years, they mocked him probably. I even imagine his wife probably a couple times came in and said, No, let's go over this one more time. What did God say to you again? Tell me one more time. What did he say? Build this big ark. We don't know what rain is, 
build this big ark. What is going to happen again? Well, you know, honey, all he's told me is the Lord said, here's the dimensions, build it. Are you sure you didn't forget something else? Are you, are you sure you didn't have bad pepperoni? I mean, what, are you sure you didn't miss something here? I mean, be real. Is there something you're missing? I mean, wouldn't we, I mean, would we have been wrong to think that at the time? I mean, this is so out of the ordinary. It's so out of the ordinary. What about Noah's sons? Dad, I got plans for my life. I want to be with the boys. Why are the other boys? I got to be here building an ark with you, Dad? I want to be over here. Come on, look at They're going down the road. They're playing. How many parents today, your kids, I got to go to church? I got to do this? I got to do that? Why can't I go to one of these big programs at the church where they entertain me and they got like, you know, zip lines and like trampolines and like all this other stuff? You know, why, why? I want to go to a church like that. And we sit there and go, son, daughter, that's, that's not what it's about. If you, if, <laughs> you can have fun and it can lead you right to the pit of hell. You come to hear the word of God. You come to meet Jesus Christ. You come so that the Word of God transforms your heart. And you walk out of here different. Not the same. You don't come to be entertained. You come to meet with Jesus. And I can imagine those conversations Noah had to have with his boys. And then his, his, his daughter-in-laws. Can you imagine? Oh, why did I marry into this family? I mean, of all the families, this is the family, Lord? I got to marry into this family? I got... You know, my father-in-law over there, the wackadoo, building an ark. We don't even know what water is. And I got, you know, I got my, my husband who's telling me I got to go every day and take this cedar and build these planks and do all this stuff. And all, all of a sudden, all these animals are gathering around. It's dirty. It smells. All the neighbors are laughing at us. They think we're crazy. They think we're out of our minds. See, this was all very normal to Noah. Affliction and persecution, not fitting in, not walking according to the ways of the world. But we don't read a single thing about disobedience for Noah. God gave him a command and he walked in it. He was faithful. He didn't worry about what everybody else was doing. He didn't care. All he wanted to do is what the Lord commanded him to do. He had a heart after God that way. A passion to, to follow Christ. And a hundred years pass and he doesn't hear a... And then all of a sudden, sweet words come into the ark. That's the first thing he hears from the Lord in 100 years. It says there right in the verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark. How sweet that must have been to Noah. Lord, I wasn't imagining this. You are here. But where does he say? Does he say, Go into the ark? Or does he say, Come into the ark. Where was God that whole time, 100 years? He was with Noah. He was with Noah through the provisions. He was with Noah through all the building. He was with Noah through the hard times, the good times, the strain, all of it. He was with Noah. Even though Noah didn't perceive his presence necessarily. Even though Noah didn't physically talk to him per se. He was with Noah. And when he says, come into the ark, God is already in there. Noah, come in with me. Bring your family. Come in, Noah. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. Do you see that? There's a difference here in how, it, how it's explained. Come into me. Come into the ark. Isn't that what Jesus said? All you who are having laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. Jesus called us to come to him. The ark is a type for that. Come. And just as we sit there and proclaim and preach today, Jesus Christ is the only way, I'm sure it seemed very narrow-minded to them in those days. You want me to get on that, I don't even know what it is, a boat, boat? I mean, what do we call it? It's a vessel. What is that thing, right? I mean, you look at it, they didn't have a name for it. They didn't know what it was. Why would they have needed a boat? You know, think about it. They didn't have rain. They didn't have any. Why would they have needed that? And, and yet the people could have easily got on that ark. It, it held a third. Two-thirds of that ark was available. That was open space. Three decks. Three decks. Plenty of space. He says, I have seen that you're righteous. You see, Noah didn't wait until the flood to try to get right with God. 
Noah didn't wait till the flood to try to get right with God. Look, look what it said in chapter 6, verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. Perfect. That word in the, Greek, or in the Hebrew, excuse me, means complete. Complete in his generations. Noah did what? He walked with God. Noah didn't wait till the flood to begin to walking with God. Noah had relationship with God already. He was an act of obedience. So when God looked at him, he says, I have seen that you are righteous. He looks at many of you today and says, I see the way you're living. Righteousness, right living. I see what you're doing. You're not waiting until the judgment. You're not waiting until a particular thing happens, until something falls, and then all of a sudden you, you run to God because you're afraid. No, you, you sought God in the good times and in the, you know, in the bad times. You, you praise God all the time. And when we see the righteousness, it speaks to his conduct, his character. Again, it's important. Noah's not sinless. We know that. I mean, look in chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings. We see sacrifice. Remember, he didn't have Jesus Christ. He didn't have that, that perfect sacrifice once and for all. All sin paid. He had blood sacrifice. He had to, he had to build the altar, and, and just, as, just as the Israelites did before they, Jesus Christ came, they, they would you know, put their hands in. They would, they would transfer the sin of, of the man onto the animal that way. And they would have this altar to worship. It's also where we're going to see the Noah covenant, the covenant established. You see, he wasn't sinless. It's important to, to, to realize that. You see, what's, what's really awesome is not only that he believed in God, but that he believed what God said, that he was going to send this flood. And he didn't even understand what that word meant, nor the idea of rain. You know, he could have said, I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. And you and I would look and go, what, what, what did he, what, I don't, did you get that? I didn't get that. I mean, that, it, was a, it, was, it wasn't something he understood in his language. But it didn't matter. God said this, and it was, it was enough for him. It was enough for Noah. Is it enough for you tonight? Whatever you're going through, wherever you're at, whatever the Lord's doing in your life, if God told you to trust Him through all the circumstances, I mean, lately in the fellowship, it seems like recently we've had some folks with some job changes. And it seems to go in ebbs and waves like that, you know. It's, it's just how it works. It, it, the Lord allows it, and, and He does it. And in some ways, we encourage one another, right? We realize we're not alone, and when it happens, we're together. We're a family, and that, that's not going to change because of jobs. We're the body of Christ. And the gates of hell can't prevail against the body of Christ. Can't prevail against the church. But, but when it comes on upon us, you know, we're, we're, we're overwhelmed. Maybe what are we going to do? What? Do we trust God said he would be our provider? And he's not a provider just sometimes. He's not a provider where you are just in this instance. He's your provider all the time. Every day, every year, all the time, everywhere you live, everywhere you go, God is with you. Do you believe that? And if you do, do you rest in that? Thank you, Jesus, because I was about to freak out, but I don't need to, Lord, because my faith and trust is in you and you alone. And I won't let the enemy take an inch. I won't let him have an inch on this. I cast it out in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. You shall take with you seven of each seven of each of every clean animal, male and his female, two of each animal that are unclean, male and his female, and also seven of each birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. So some have wondered, you know, how did this work out? You know, how did these animals just come? You remember in chapter 6, verse 20, it says of the birds after their kind of animals, after their kind, after creeping things of the earth, every of its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep what? Them alive. That's why they're coming. God, God's allowing them to come to be protected. To protect them, to keep them, to bring them into this ark, to save their, their lives that way. It's, think of it as a preservation instinct. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, it, it must have been shocking. I mean, you're sitting there watching the ark, and all of a sudden, you know, two of every kind, these animals start coming up, you know, big, small, and different, you know, walking on the ark. And, you know, the people must have paused for a moment and went, huh, look at that. You don't see that every day. And then, you know, 
blah, whatever, and went back to their normal, you know, lifestyle, wickedness. You think that that would have been a sign. Wow, that's not a normal behavior. We don't really see that often. Isn't it interesting the animals obey? God didn't have to convince the animals to obey. There was a natural instinct to listen to where their creator, God, called them to do. And they just walked and began to walk like that. And Now, you know, you, some have said, well, maybe it's a migratory instinct. You think about birds, they, they migrate and maybe, maybe there was, maybe the Lord used something built into the animal to migrate them to the ark. Maybe, I don't know. I think it's just simply, they heard the word of the Lord, their God, and said, I'm going. That's it, it's simple. I don't, I don't need some, God, God's done. If God calls you and I and we hear his voice, don't we go where he calls us? Don't we respond? He's our father, he's our dad. He says, come, we say, okay. He says, go, we say, okay. I have no doubt the animals, same thing. Now, what's interesting is it says, take seven of each. Isn't that interesting? That pops out different. Seven pairs. Before it was one pair, remember? They're going to come in pairs, male and female. Seven pairs now. And, and this would make sense if it was a worldwide flood and not a regional flood. Because a regional flood, why would you need seven pairs like that? And if you think about it, it's, it's, it's actually seven of each, excuse me, so it would be three pairs, because you think three times two is six, and then one additional pair, that would be seven. So if you think about it, God's bringing them in. Why would he bring seven? And I, I think that's because he's got three pairs that will be saved for reproduction, to reproduce on earth, and then the seventh pair will be used for animal sacrifice, as we read in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, that after the flood is done, they'll erect an altar, for clean animal, and then they're going to sacrifice there. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal, of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings of the Lord. God provided even the sacrifice and offering. He provides it all. You can't outgive God. Do you realize that? You can't outgive God. If God is in it, He's going to provide. If you want proof of that, look around you at this young church. And what God has done in a year, he's provided. And he continues to provide because it's his word and his word is going to go forth. And he's going to just honor it because he honors his word higher than his own name. Now, it's interesting. It says clean and unclean. I don't know if you caught this or if something jumped out when you read that. Clean and unclean. Wait a minute. Leviticus 11 hasn't even been written yet. It hasn't been written down. How do we know clean and unclean? Did anybody capture that for a moment? You know, wait a minute, clean, unclean? How, how did Noah know? Well, maybe Noah just somehow understood. I mean, clearly, we're not told how he knew, but he could distinguish between, he could distinguish between the two, couldn't he? Clean and unclean. He knew what it was. And I think the multiple pairs, again, goes back to the greater proliferation. I mean, more proliferation of, of, of what? After the flood and... You think about the genetic factors and kinds. Wolves, dogs, animals. It's interesting. Two by two they went into the ark. Only man rejects God. Animals obey the Lord when he says do something. The other thing I thought was interesting is we don't see animals going, well, I don't want to be what you've created me to be. I don't see a bear saying, you know, really, I'm a fawn. That's, that's what I am. I, 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 was, I know I was born genetically or biologically this way, but I know I'm not a bear. I might look like a bear, but I'm not a bear. No, I never saw an animal going like, oh my, I can't be, an, I can't be a bear anymore. Or I never saw a female bear going, you know what? I think I'm supposed to be a male bear. I just, I feel it, I'm gen, you know, biologically. I mean, you know, I never saw Winnie the Pooh, you know, none of these. You know, <laughs> I mean, I say this because there's a naturalness to this and that the animals respond. Only the depravity of the human heart and wickedness of man do we see such an abomination of going back and the creation trying to tell the creator what it's supposed to be. We don't see it in any other species, any other thing. And it's just the wickedness of man's heart. Look at verse 4. It says, For after seven more days, underline that. Oh my, it became real pretty quick there. After seven more days. This is the last week. That's it. This is the last week. Seven more days and judgment's coming. 
That's why I said, I wonder if Methuselah, knowing this, hearing what Noah probably looked, Noah probably went, oh, Grandpa Methuselah. Maybe even looked at Methuselah and went, you know, had one of those kind of like, it's time. Find a really comfy chair. You know, I don't know. But you know what? God gave everything to Noah that he needed to know. There's no fear, no anxiety that way. He told him how it's all going to go down. He says, For seven more days I will cause it to rain on earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Methuselah wasn't, I'm sure, was not afraid to die. Because Methuselah knew where he was going. He was going to go be with the Lord. He knew that. It was through faith. He knew that. So, you know, that's why I can sort of make that little bit of a joke, saying, well, I'll find a comfy chair. He wasn't worried about that. I mean, they were so close to God at that point, and, and watch this, and, and Methuselah knowing that this was coming, and then here God speaking to his grandson, and, and this is all going to happen. Do you think there's any doubt whether he believed? Do you think there's any doubt whether Noah believed? Of course not. He was righteous in the eyes of God. But God gives Noah another declaration. And I'm sure, like you or I, if you knew you had seven days to live, if you knew that God was going to rapture you in seven days from now, what would you do with those seven days? I mean, what would you do? Think about it. I mean, it's real. What would you do? I have no doubt. Again, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He went out and he started preaching. And he was like, look, it's happening. It's coming in a week. It's going to blah, 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 blah. Because they don't know what rain is. It's going, this thing's going to happen. And they're looking at him, what is blah, 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 blah? You know, they don't understand. Look, you need to get on the ark. The animals are coming. God told me this is going to happen. He's going to judge the world. And they ignore him. Just like today. Many ignore Jesus Christ, don't they? And we tell them the time is coming. You see, we don't know when the time is. Noah didn't know. A hundred years had passed. And all of a sudden, God says, come on in. Seven days. Wow. That's pretty quick, isn't it? I mean, in, in the length of everything, it's pretty quick in a, in a time lapse. Seven days. What would you do? Would you go out and tell as many people as you could? Would you go to all your loved ones and try one more time? Would you go to your neighbors and your friends and try to one more time say, please, I'm begging you. You don't understand. You're going to die if you don't accept Jesus Christ. If you don't believe, if you don't get on the ark. Well, that Noah, that's narrow-minded. There's got to be multiple ways. No, God provided an ark today. Ah, oh, Jesus, that's narrow-minded. Come on. There's got to be multiple ways and multiple paths. Pluralists. I mean, even some of the religious leaders that we respect today are becoming pluralists. Well, maybe God will provide a different way. I mean, He is a gracious God. Absolutely He's gracious. So gracious that He gave His only begotten Son. That He would die for us. That we could be redeemed to Him. That we could be forgiven from our sin. But we need to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is the only way, and that's real love. Real love is not pretending and telling someone, yeah, I know what you mean, or maybe, and you don't want to get confrontational with them. Real love is looking and saying, you know what? If I lie to you like that, it's going to lead you right to the pit of hell. Hell is real. Heaven is real. Jesus Christ talked about it. He wrote about it in his word. He inspired it. You believe it. If you want salvation, receive him today. Don't wait another minute. That's real love. That's real love. How many people do that? I mean, that's not just the pastor's job. I mean, that's not my, that's all of us. All of us have been given that great commission. Do you do that? Every chance you're given, every opportunity. I don't care if you're at the food market. I don't care where you are. The dentist's office, ah, oh, they're always trying to talk to you when they're working on your teeth. Do you ever pause? Hang on, do you know the Lord? Because I guarantee that'll get them quiet. Oh, he's one of those. Next thing you know, you don't, unless they're a believer, you won't, you know, they keep working on your teeth. Really? We need to be real about this with the Lord. What are we doing? Are we just playing Christianity? 
We're just going through the motions. Stakes are high. Seven more days. God told Noah he was going to judge the earth. He was going to destroy all living creatures that way, except for those that were on the ark. You see, God's coming back to judge sin here on earth. He didn't come the first time when Jesus came came to judge sin. He came to give hope. He came to give redemption. That's why you and I are here today. But he's coming again, and this time in judgment. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The stakes are high. It's the only way. And, and just as this had come on, I bet Noah was a little bit surprised by this. After 100 years of waiting. It's been 2,000 years since Christ walked the earth saying he's coming back. I'm sure there's people that are living today going, you know what? I don't know. I, they, people, you know, those Christians have been saying that forever. Really? Jesus said it would be like the days of Noah. It hasn't been like the days of Noah forever. We're living in those days. If there's anybody here, don't wait another moment. You don't know if you have another moment. Tonight, you could be on your ride home. You could be in the car. You could just stop breathing. And you know what? You'd be dead in your trespasses. You'd be dead in your trespasses. The people we love would be dead in their trespasses unless they receive Jesus Christ. We got a lot of work to do, Christian. We got a lot of work to do. The harvest is plenty, the workers and laborers are few. The time's coming. You see, the gospel's it's preeminent, it's perfect. Everything else is an outreach off of that. And then I like that it says Noah did. You know, this is the final test for Noah here. Just as he had done for the hundred years, Noah did all that God commanded him, including even preparing for the death of his grandfather, Methuselah. Noah did. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on there. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Now they're starting to see it. And at this point, the people are probably panicking and wondering what to do. And I have no doubt that if they would have just turned and come, because God didn't seal the door yet. He didn't seal the door. They started realizing. They were unbelievers, but they could see the water, couldn't they? They were unbelievers, but they could see the water. There are unbelievers today that can see the water. They can see the signs of the times. As I mentioned when I was in my introduction, people, even unbelievers, know there's something going on today. They're downsizing and simplifying. They're getting ready. They have no idea why or what, but they know something's happening. They know that the, the perversion and the perversity has never been worse. Evil being called good. Even people that, are, that would consider themselves morally um, good, but may not be necessarily spiritual, as they would say. Even those people are coming back and going, man, things are crazy. People are just very de- de- depraved and just self- selfish, and they're just, just wicked. It wasn't always this way. You know, when, when, when it was the time where we didn't, we didn't say the Pledge of Allegiance, where we didn't, we didn't say under God, we didn't pray, where we forgot where the foundations of our country, the United States of America was a Christian country, a Christian foundation, and God blessed us. And now we have people that want to do what? It's, it's literally a civil war. They want nothing to do with it. They want to forget that. They, they want to do it. They want a, a communism or they want something different, a socialist, something that, that is about them. Instead of realizing it's always been about all of us, but more importantly, about bringing glory to God. And God is, he's a loving God, but, but he has to judge sin, doesn't he? We want him to judge sin, don't we? We don't want a God that compromises. We don't want a God that says, well, you know, I know I meant that in Genesis, but I'm going to rewrite it. I'm going to retract it. No, we don't want a God. We want a God that's an absolute. An absolute we know where we stand in Christ, don't we, here tonight? Because why do we know? Because the Word of God tells us so. 
and we can rely and we can have faith on it and we can trust it. This isn't a time, but yet you look at the perversion of the world. The world can't stand absolutes. The world can't stand accountability. The world doesn't want responsibility. The world doesn't want any of that. Everybody wants to do what's right in their own eyes, and they don't want to be judged. They don't want accountability. You know, sometimes in a smaller church, I, I often wonder as people come in, they, they say, oh, I, I like it, but, but boy, the, the pastor gets to know me. And, and I, I, I get to know the pastor. And, and, and week after week, when... When things are happening, it's like he, I walk in the door and he, he knows if I'm having a good day or a bad day. And, and if I'm not there, you know, he kind of notices and, you know, and, and, and the family of God kind of notices and they care. And next thing you know, they're calling me up or texting me saying, are you sick? Are you all right? I like it better when I can go into those mega churches and nobody knows I'm there. Aren't there people like that today? Why? Because there's accountability. They don't want that. That's a hardness of heart. You know what they really do want? They want to belong. They're searching. They really do want to belong, but they're afraid. They're afraid to let go. They're afraid to allow someone to love them unconditionally like only Jesus Christ can, like only the body of Christ can. These people saw the waters in the day of Noah. And because of their fear to conform or to appear to be something different, they would rather die in wickedness and evil. Doesn't that tell you the type of people that were living then? Doesn't that say something about the kind of people that are living today? There are people that would rather die in their own trespasses, in their own will, than to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because of hardness of heart, because of fear, because of anxiety. Jesus says, when you lose your life for my name's sake, that's when you live. That's when you really gain it. That's, that's what it looks like. It's the opposite of logic. It's the opposite of, of man in the world. The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. It's not man's intellect. It's counterintuitive. Praise the Lord for that. He says, I was, it's in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know, the wise, the wise that profess the ways. He says they'll become fools because of their intellect. Fools that will lead them right to the pit of hell. And this here, as we continue to read, and we read verse 9, two by two, they went into the ark, male and female, and God had commanded Noah, verse 9. This closes the antediluvian period here, the pre-flood period. Noah, by this time, is 600 years old, and it's going to start something called the post-Diluvian period. And once they entered the, the ark, they, they were effectively removed from the world. They entered the ark of grace. It was an ark of grace. Everything was done as God commanded perfectly. Just as it will be done again for you and I. Perfectly. As he raptures us. The church will not be given unto wrath. He has said it. He has promised it. We will be harpazoed. We will be raptured. We will be out of here. It's a beautiful thing. And if there's anybody that's hearing this, that's going, wait a minute. But it can't be that simple. It is. And it's in spite of your intellect or my intellect. I love that. Verse 10, and it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, 17th day of the month, very specific, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So again, after the seven days, again, we know the exact date. We see it's the second month, the 17th day in the year of 1656 after creation. 1,656 years. Now, we don't know 100% because remember, that's a Hebrew calendar. Not a calendar like ours of 365 days. It's a 360 day. And we don't even know truly if they used a 360 day in the antediluvian period yet. We, don't, we just don't know that point. We'd like to believe it would have been a 360 day because it's... It would have been a Hebrew calendar, and they would have been, before they were called Israel, they, were, they would have been of that line. 
So we think maybe it makes sense that it would be a 368, but the Bible doesn't tell us and we really don't, we don't really know. I think the most important point is God was being specific that it would be recorded for future generations. God is a God of detail. A very, very uh, strong detail here. You know, it's interesting, almost every record of early civilizations records a worldwide flood of, as, part of their, um, as part of their flood record, if you will. Every single early civilization. It's, it's interesting. I mean, you, you go back and look, look through the historical records. I mean, this is not a regional flood. This was a worldwide flood. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, uh, the Hindus, all part of secular history. They all record it. All part of their flood, flood history. And yet, they hadn't even seen it rain at that time. They didn't even know what it was. Talk about the test of faith. This was a real test of faith. It says, the windows of heaven were opened. This is when, you know, the great waters, remember we read it first in Genesis chapter 1, verse 7, about the great waters in the firmament. Remember we talked about the firmament in the sky, and it would have been half, and it was like half of it would have been water, and it was open. This is what we see here. It says it was open. That vapor barrier that God had designed, that firmament that He had kept, because all along we serve an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God that's all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere. He knew there would come a time as this. And you sit there and say, yes, why did He allow it? Even though it breaks His heart? Because He allows free will. The same way He allows man to elevate himself as a God. Why does He allow it? I mean, you and I would say, well, boosh, whack him, you know, take him out right away, right? But think about that. That was you and I at one point. Many of us here. That was me. You know, God would have snuffed me out. I, I would have absolutely deserved that. If it wasn't for his long suffering, his mercy, his grace, if he, if he didn't show his love to me that way, that's where, that's where I belonged. You know, I, I, I thought I was, you know, right in my ways. But he broke it up. He opens us up in this, this huge blanket of water. I mean, you talk about rain. I mean, I, I can't imagine. There had been, I mean, this was a sub, you know, tropical climate at this point. I mean, there had been no winds. We don't read about any. I mean, there was a pretty stay all year round, man, like 80. Like 80, 85, all year round, beautiful. You know, big fruit leaves, the whole nine yards. Not just in the garden, but even at this point. It's not until we see the post-Diluvian period where we begin to understand, as we'll read through here, where we see winds, we see storms, thunder, lightning, all this I mean, everything fun changed forever to a world we understand where it rains. I mean, it rained today, didn't it? I mean, we, heavy rain, as a matter of fact. But can you imagine Noah and his family, they're on the boat, and this thing is coming down, and they've never seen anything like this. A lot of fear, I imagine. And yet God was in the ark with them, comforting them. And the animals probably all laying down. What do animals do today a lot of the time when it rains? What do they do? They lay down, don't they? Almost like God built that instinct in there for a time such as this in that ark. It's amazing. And so here it breaks open into the fountain of the great deep. This is, when you look at the word underlying great deep here, because we're talking about the firmaments above and then below, this talks about the waters underneath. This means near the earth's crust, the water that's down there. There's a certain percentage of water that, that, that's associated with that. all these waters these deep-seated sources, they begin to, to come up. They begin to kind of bring up. And it says, for 40 days and 40 nights, number 40 becomes what? We know it's associated with testing and purification. Especially before something new or significant is going to come. You want to see that? Look at Exodus chapter 24, verse 18, at the time of Mount Sinai with Moses. Or Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 25. When Jesus was, what about with Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness? Remember that? For 40 days and 40 nights before the new covenant, right? Mark chapter 1, verse 13. We just read it in Mark. So, I mean, this is a long window of rain like Noah had never seen. And I'm sure that Noah was relieved at some point, you know, but at the same time, he was glad to hear, well, thank you for telling me it's 40 days and 40 nights. I know what this looks like. This must have sort of calmed the great anxiety that way. And we're going to see in verse 13 here as, as we look, you know, they're going to, 
They're going to enter the ark. Look at verse 13. And on that very same day, Noah, Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Noah's wife, and their three wives with his sons uh, entered the ark. That they and every beast and all of its kind and all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind and every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah two by two, all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him. And who shut the door? Did Noah have to shut the door? The Lord shut the door. Wow. So I think it's almost like, you know, the Holy Spirit knew it would have been difficult. So I think he reiterates it. He kind of goes through here. If you look at this verses, it's kind of 13 through 16 here. It's almost a reiteration in the Hebrew of what was going to transpire. Like, pay attention. That's what he's showing us here. It's repeated with great attention, implying the literality of this. That this isn't just a story. This is a literal historical account of what happened. Just like that. And that's not uncommon in the Hebrew in the way that it would have done. If it was too, we'll see that throughout as we continue through Genesis. We'll, get a, we'll see it in Deuteronomy too, as a matter of fact, where we get one account, and then we get a similar account with additional detail confirming the literality or the, the literalness of the account. That's what we see in the Hebrew. And it says, went in as God had commanded him. And again, this described that, once again, Noah was faithful to fulfill everything that God had asked him to do. And all things were ready for the flood that was going to come upon the earth here. And it says, and the Lord shut him in. I thank God for this as I read this, that Noah didn't have to shut that door. I mean, God did it. I mean, Noah didn't shut the door on anyone's salvation. Anybody could have come into that ark and been saved. But God shut that door. There comes a time, even today, when, when Christ comes through the Great Tribulation, and even thereafter the Great Tribulation, we know there'll be a time where they will still be able to call on the name of Christ. But eventually there will come a time where that door will shut. For every single person, if we die before the harpazo, if you're an unbeliever and you die before, you know, the end of the great tribulation and you haven't repented, that door was effectively shut for you. Those that die today in their sins, that door is shut. Because in the afterlife, when you're standing face to face with Jesus Christ, you won't have an opportunity at that point to repent and turn to God and say, well, now I mean it. Because now I see it and I'm here. You know, not now I mean it. I don't, I don't want to go there, Lord. No. This is the time to make that choice and decision. Make your calling and election sure, the Bible tells us. We need to make our calling and election sure. We need to, we need to have that delineated here. And I, again, I'm so glad that God did this for Noah, that he shut the door that way. Because I don't, I don't know that I could have shut the door. As I'm standing up here, I'd say, I'd say but, but wait a minute, you know, maybe I'd compromise. Well, you know, sort of... You know, that, that, that's, that's Cousin Henry, man. He, you know, come on, you know. But no, God's a righteous judge. He shut the door. You see, when the door is open, the door is open. When the door is shut, it's shut. It reminds me of Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. He who opens and no one shuts, and he who shuts and no one opens. We see here in this account that, like I said, there's only really three different outcomes the first is Enoch. He was raptured. And we see a type of rapture here for you and I. That's one option. We, we might very well be raptured tonight, tomorrow, we don't know. But we could be raptured. The second option, family of Noah on the ark, saved, a remnant. And then the third, condemnation of the world. The world was judged and it was found wanting. And it went to hell because of the wickedness and deception of the heart. There was no second chance for those people that made that decision that chose not to, to follow the Lord that way. Now the flood water was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. Hmm. 
I mean, you think about it, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered, and the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. Wow. I mean, there's so much to go through here, and with our time, I'm going to try to be very um, quick as going through this here. You know, the description of this flood is so complete, it's important because it gives us good scientific record to explain why and how this ark floated. Noah's sons and other passages, specifically Psalm 104, verses 5 through 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 talk about this universal flood. You know, David Guzik, Calvary Chapel pastor out west, he says, you know, there are hundreds of people groups who have their own counts of a legend of the flood. One of the most remarkable is the Babylonian count, the Epic of Galgamesh. Very similar. If you haven't heard the Epic of Galgamesh, I'd encourage you to go back and look at it. Almost an historical account for little, I mean, wow, you just sit back and read. And it's G-A-L-G-A-M-E-S-H. Tribes like the Samokubu or the tribe of New Guinea. Um, he talks about the Indians, the Americans, the Papa. Papago Indians, the Arizona Brazilian tribes, the Peruvian Indians, African Hottentots, natives of Greenland, natives of Hawaiians, Hindus, Chinese, Egyptians, Greeks, Persians, Australians, Welsh, Celts, Druids, Siberians, Lithuanians, all have it in their flood record that there was a worldwide flood. There's no question about it. And that flood record says that very clearly that boat, that, that ark, came to rest on a mountain. And it was the highest point. We're going to read that in chapter 8. It was the highest point of all the mountain. And we know that was Mount Ararat. And actually the name of the highest point of the mountains, because there's a, Mount Ararat's a cluster of mountains, that area. But there's a highest peak. And it just so happens the name for that highest peak is also called Mount Ararat. And there are those that have taken pictures that when the ice begins to thaw or certain times of year, Explorers, we talked about it last Wednesday. I mean, there's pictures where they go through. We've, we've had, you know, World War II veterans go through and take pictures. And, and we have documents that have been unclassified since the 1960s that show there's an object in there. And it's a one to six scale. If you look at the one to six scale of the ark, which is what Noah's ark is, it's a one to six scale. The dimensions on the actual uh, satellite image, which, oh, by the way, it's a Muslim country, it's Turkey. So we have to be careful because we don't want them to know how good our satellite imagery actually is and how many dots per inch we can really get from a resolution perspective. But suffice it to say, we can get pretty accurate to look at the grain of the wood. And there's pictures of this. And it's a one to six. There's an object exactly where the Bible said it would be in Mount Ararat. That's a one to six ratio that when the, th the ice is thawed and there was a piece that was able to show forward, many believe it's the ark. Josephus claimed it was the ark. He said they would go and scrape it off and bring some of the stuff. I mean, this is not, oh, I wonder if it is. Uh, it's there. The reality is it's very difficult to get in. And, and as you can imagine, because it's modern-day Turkey and you have a very large Muslim population and the Quran says that the ark is not there, right? It says it's in a different place. So if the ark truly is there, which I believe it is, absolutely, and all of a sudden, you know, the Muslims, I mean, they could make tons of money on tourism, thaw that thing out, get a bunch of hair dryers, I don't know, figure it out, thaw that thing out. People could go and look at it, but what would happen? It would undermine the entire Quran, which we already know is called like. And what would they see? They would see an ark. And where would Islam go? Right? You see what I'm saying? This is why you don't see any explorers or people that allow people to go look at this. Pastor Joe Foch from Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes near or Calvary Chapel Philadelphia, excuse me, years ago got invited to go on an expedition to actually go look at the ark at the time period because it was coming up when it was thought, but he wasn't able to make it because there were some problems with Russia and some different things that were going on. So he had to call off the trip. Well, he didn't call it off. They called him and said, you know, he had gotten on the treadmill and it was you know, he thought he was going to get up there and hike, you know. I, if you know Pastor Joe, you'd kind of laugh about that because he's like, oh, yeah, man, I'll do it. I'll get up there. You know, we're like, somebody's going to have to carry the man down, you know. But, but um, I mean, this is real. This is literal. This is recorded in Scripture. I mean, Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is infallible. We don't get to take an a la carte approach. It's not a menu. 
It's not, I'll take a little potatoes, a little cheese. I mean, it's the Bible. It's all God breathed. And it says all mountains were covered. I mean, this would have took a lot of water. 71% of the earth's surface is covered by water. If all the earth's water, ocean, ice caps, glaciers, lakes, rivers, groundwater, and water in the atmosphere were put into the diameter of a ball, it would be 860 miles. That's like the distance between Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, Topeka, Kansas. If all the world's water was poured into the contiguous United States, it would be at a depth of 107 miles deep. If you took all the earth's water, I mean, this is a significant source of water. And in verse 20, it says, water prevailed 15 cubits. Why is that number so important? Circle that in your Bible. What would be 15 cubits? What's a cubit? Now, whether you go with a cubit, well, a cubit typically is 18 inches, right? Able to digit like that, 18 inches. Some said, well, maybe it's a a larger cubit, because remember, we had a perversion going on where we had the Nephilim. So maybe, you know, they're giants. Maybe that's like a three-foot cubit. Who knows? But, But, you know, if you look at a cubit being 15 cubits, what was the exact, remember the ark? 15 cubits would be the exact middle point of the, of the bow that way. So when you turn around and you figure out how to float this vessel, you would have, need to have water come up to 15 cubits on the actual vessel for it to be able to float on the water and the surface to be higher than any of the mountains. Isn't that interesting? Science is just catching up. Our naval, our naval folks have studied this account in the academies. They've looked at it. They've looked at it when they designed boats because of the one to six ratio. And they've all said, absolutely. This would be able to flee floating, flee, free floating vessel that would, that would be able to do that. I mean, a rat at its highest peak is 17,000 feet high. A lot of water. A lot of water. Verse 21 through 24, and we'll close with this. And all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle, beasts of every creeping thing and creeps on the earth, and every man, all those whose nostrils were the breath of the spirit of life, and all, those, and all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things of bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. You know, all flesh and literally every substance, I'm using the word substance here, died. Every living thing that came thereafter was part of the habitant of the ark. It would have been part of the habitants of the ark that way. And verse 24, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. You know, God's given us many animals today, many varieties and kinds of animals that we see. And many of them have the instinct of hibernation. Isn't that interesting? You see, it, would know, it wouldn't be difficult to figure 150 days, what would the animals do? If they created a, an instinct of hibernation in those animals, which we see some of that today, and it's interesting because if you take animals and you put them in a closed area, right, they naturally begin to go down and sort of take a hibernation posture. They don't freak out. Like, you know, sometimes you take humans and you put them in a small room and they're, you know, they, they begin, you know, the air's a wall, the air's tight. You know, the, no, they don't do that. You know, they don't, they don't, their mind doesn't go there that way. They just begin to chill out, man. They kind of like lay low, kind of hang out. Just, they begin to sort of conserve energy. And so we kind of see that here. It's kind of interesting. In either case, we know that if you look at this, there would have been enough room on this arc for five months. Remember, we're talking about 60% of the capacity was used, 1.4 million cubic feet. Just to give you a reality, how many people have gone over here? There's a, there's a restaurant, a diner over here, and it's called Trails End, I believe. It's the name of Tracks End, close, I'm getting close. I'll get it right once, one of these days. Tracks End, I love the food over there, it's great. You go over there and you eat, right? Beautiful place, nice place. A lot of the railroad, the people that come in to travel on the railroads, there's like a little lodging. They can stay there, and then they can eat, and they can go. When you look at the volume of capacity, and they would really appreciate this, you think about it, because that's their business, right? 
it would be like 522 live stock cars. You know the things you see on the back of the trains as we get caught on the railroad symbols and the things go down and we're like, oh, we're never gonna get out of here, right? And five to 10 minutes goes by and you see these boom, 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 those big railroad, you know. 522 of those livestock cars. I mean, the ark carried two of every family of animal. That would be around 700 pairs. But if it carried two of every kind of animal, that would be around 35,000 pairs of animals. Again, I mentioned this last week, the average size of a land animal is the size of a sheep. Therefore, the ark could carry 1,000, God bless you, 135,560 sheep-like animals. There wasn't a problem with room on the ark. I mean, you're talking about, you know, literally 60%, no more than 60% capacity. That gave room for food, water, whatever provisions were needed. And you look at what God says next. Then God remembered Noah in chapter 8, verse 1. God didn't forget Noah. God was with Noah in the ark. What's it talking about? His faithfulness. You see, God pays a high premium on remembering. Tonight, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to partake of the elements together. Because God told us to remember, didn't he? He told us to remember what happened in that upper room when the boys were there. The boys are up there. You know, it's the Passover. And they're in the upper room. And Jesus says, I, something, I want you to know something's going to be different here out. I'm the Hafi Coleman. It's part of the Passover. I, I, I want you to understand what's about to happen here tonight. That's what he said to him, or, or the day. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm this lamb that's slaughtered, this perfect lamb like that. My body's going to be broken. My blood's going to be shed. I want you to remember this. Because when you go through those times and those moments, when things in your life seem overwhelming. We need to be narrowed in and focused on what's really important, and that's Jesus Christ. Because can't we get caught up in our own, our own minds, our own deal? Can't we do that? It's so easy for us to get caught up that way. And as we, we partake of communion tonight, it's Jesus' broken body that we remember. It's his shed blood. It's the new covenant a covenant that he established for everyone, free, willing, Jew, Gentile, everyone, that we would be not only forgiven for our sins, but that we would receive his imputed righteousness. And that when, when he would look down upon us, he would see his son in us and through us. No more sin. You see that? Do you see how beautiful that is?